Section 2 of The Golden Bell, Part 3, The Dying God, by Sir James George Fraser. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 2. The Killing of the Divine King, Part 1. Part 1. Preference for a Violent Death. Human gods are killed to prevent them from growing old and feeble. If the high gods who dwell remote from the fret and fever of this earthly life are yet believed to die at last, it is not to be expected that a god who lodges in a frail tabernacle of flesh should escape the same fate. Though we hear of African kings who have imagined themselves immortal by virtue of their sorceries. Now primitive peoples, as we have seen, sometimes believe that their safety and even that of the world is bound up with the life of one of these godmen or human incarnations of the divinity. Naturally, therefore, they take the utmost care of his life, out of a regard for their own, but no amount of care and precaution will prevent the man-god from going old and feeble and at last dying. His worshippers have to lay their account with this sad necessity and to meet it as best they can. The danger is a formidable one, for if the course of nature is dependent on the man-god's life, what catastrophes may not be expected from the gradual enfeeblement of his powers and the final extension in death. There is only one way of averting these dangers. The man gone must be killed as soon as he shows symptoms that his powers are beginning to fail and his soul must be transferred to a vigorous successor before it has been seriously impaired by the threatened decay. The advantages of thus putting the man gone to death instead of allowing him to die of old age and disease are, to the savage, obvious enough. For if the man-god dies, what we call a natural death, it means, according to the savage, that his soul has either voluntarily departed from his body and refuses to return, or more commonly, that it has been extracted, or at least detained in its wanderings, by a demon or sorcerer. In any of these cases, the soul of the man-god is lost to his worshippers, and with it, their prosperity is gone, and the very existence endangered. Even if they could arrange to catch the soul of the dying god, as it left his lips or his nostrils, and so transferred to a successor, this would not effect their purpose. For dying of disease, his soul would necessarily leave his body in the last stage of weakness and exhaustion, and so enfeebled, it would continue to drag out a languid, inert existence in any body to which it might be transferred. Whereas by slaying him, his worshippers could, in the first place, make sure of catching his soul that escaped and transferring it to a suitable successor, and in the second place, by putting him to death before his natural force was abated, they would secure that the world should not fall into decay with the decay of the man-god. Every purpose, therefore, was answered, and all dangers averted by thus killing the man-god and transferring his soul, while yet, at its prime, to a vigorous successor. Preference for a violent death the sick and old killed. Some of the reasons for preferring a violent death to the slow death of old age or disease are obviously as applicable to common men as to the man-god. Thus the Manigayans think that the spirits of those who die a natural death are excessively feeble and weak as their bodies were at dissolution, whereas the spirits of those who are slain in battle are strong and vigorous, their bodies not having been reduced by disease. 
the barongo believe that in the world beyond the grave the spirits of their dead ancestors appear with the exact form and lineaments which their bodies exhibited at the moment of death the spirits are young or old according as their bodies were young or old when they died there are baby spirits who crawl about on all fours the langua indians of the grand chaco are persuaded that the souls of the departed correspond exactly in form and characteristics to the bodies which they quitted at death thus a tall man is tall a short man is short and a deformed man is deformed in the spirit land and the disembodied soul of a child remains a child and ever develops into an adult hence they burn the body of a murderer and scatter the ashes to the winds thinking that this treatment will prevent his spirit from assuming human shape in the other world so too the nago tribes of manipur hold that the ghost of a dead man is an exact image of the deceased as he was at the moment of death with his scars tattoo marks mutilations and all the rest the baganda think that the ghosts of men who were mutilated in life are mutilated in like manner after death so to avoid that shame they would rather die with all their limbs than lose one by amputation and live hence men sometimes prefer to kill themselves or to be killed before they grow feeble in order that in the future life their souls may start fresh and vigorous as they left their bodies instead of decrepit and worn out with age and disease thus in fiji self-immolation is by no means rare and they believe that as they leave this life so they will remain ever after this forms a powerful motive to escape from decrepitude or from a crippling condition by a voluntary death or as another observer of the fijians puts it more fully the custom of voluntary suicide on the part of the old men which is among the most extraordinary usages is also connected with their superstitions respecting a future life they believe that persons enter upon the delights of their elysium with the same faculties mental and physical that they possess at the hour of death in short that the spiritual life commences where the corporeal existence terminates with these views it is natural that they should desire to pass through this change before their mental and bodily powers are so unfilled by age as to deprive them of their capacity for enjoyment to this motive must be added the contempt which attaches to physical weakness among a nation of warriors and the wrongs and insults which await those who are no longer able to protect themselves when therefore a man finds his strength declining with the advance of age and feels that he will soon be unable to discharge the duties of this life and to partake in the pleasures of that which is to come he calls together his relations and tells them that he is now worn out and useless and that he sees they are all ashamed of him and that he is determined to be buried so on a day appointed they used to meet and bury him alive in Vate, one of the new hebrides the age were buried alive at their own request it was considered a disgrace to the family of an old chief if he were not buried alive of the kamans a jewish tribe in abyssinia is reported that they never let a person die a natural death but if any of their relatives is nearly expiring the priest of the village is called to cut his throat if this be admitted they believe that the departed soul is not entering the mansions of the blessed the old greek philosopher heraclitus thought that the souls of those who die in battle are purer than the souls of those who die of disease preference for a violent death the sick and aged killed among the chiriguanos a tribe of south american indians on the river pilcomayo 
When a man was at the point of death, his nearest relative used to break his spine by a blow of an axe, for they thought that to die a natural death was the greatest misfortune that could befall a man. Whenever a Payagua Indian of Paraguay or a Guyana of southeastern Brazil grew weary of life, a feast was made, and amid the revelry and dancing, the man was gunged and feathered with the plumage of many-coloured birds. A huge jar had been previously fixed in the ground to be ready for him. In this he was placed. The mouth of the jar was covered with a heavy lid of baked clay. The earth was heaped over it, and thus he went to his doom more joyful and gladsome than to his first nuptials. Among the Kodiaks of northeastern Asia, when a man felt that his last hour was come, superstition formally required that he should either kill himself or be killed by a friend in order that he might escape the evil one and deliver himself up to the good god similarly among the chukchis of the same region when a man's strength fails and he is tired for life he requests his son or other near relation to dispatch him indicating the manner of death he prefers to die so on a day appointed his friends and neighbors assemble and in their presence he is stabbed strangled or otherwise dispose of according to his directions. The turbulent Angamis are the most warlike and bloodthirsty of the wild head-hunting tribes in the valley of the Brahmaputra. Among them, when a warrior dies a natural death, his nearest male relative takes a spear and wounds the corpse by the blow on the head, in order that man may be received with honour in the other world as one who has died in battle. The heathen Norsemen believed that only those who fell fighting were received by Odin and Valhalla. Hence it appears to have been customary to wound the dying with a spear in order to secure their admission to the happy land. The custom may have been a mitigation of a still older practice of slaughtering the sick. We know from Procopius that among the Heruli, a Teutonic tribe, the sick and old were regularly slain at their own request and then burned on a pyre. The winds used to kill their aged parents and other kinsfolk. Having killed them, they boiled and ate their bodies, and the old folks preferred to die thus rather than to drag out a weary life of weakness and decrepitude. End of section two.